episode four of From Red to Black, a Homicide Life on the Street podcast. Uh, this is uh, for the episode season one, episode four of Homicide. My name is Joe Moore. My name's Daniel Chornamaz. This episode was called A Shot in the Dark. It originally aired Friday at 10 p.m. February 24, 1993 on NBC. The writer was Jorge... Zamacona. It was directed by Bruce Paltrow, and the story was by Tom Fontana. Here's a very brief synopsis. Munch, along with an upset Bolander, arrive at a shooting. Crosetti and Lewis finally make progress in the Officer Thorman shooting. Bayless, Pamilton, and company finally make progress in the Watson murder, just as Bayless is about ready to give up. Yeah. Yeah, this is a this was like an emotionally scattered episode. It was all over the place. Um, parts of it that felt like really kind of dark, uh, and parts of it that were, uh, of course, really fun. Um, so, where, where do we want to start first? Do we want to talk about? Uh, Let's start off with Bolander and Munch since they kind of kicked off the episode. Awesome. Um, yeah, so they're the only. That's the only like. Uh, Murder in this episode. That's correct. Yeah. It's the one that they're the scene that they're at in the very beginning. That's right. And it's like one and a half murders, I guess. Right. The other person's <laughs> injured but still alive. It appears so. Yeah. And um, so uh, Bolander's also kind of sticking it kind of a theme throughout this episode, uh, telling Munch how he's not as good as Mitch, his which he's done before. Yeah. But he's really uh, he's really digging into him now. And it almost like in that that first couple of scenes with them, like Munch does kind of look like a bad police officer, right? Like he's like he doesn't know where that woman is, or he's yeah. I, but but obviously there's something wrong with Bolander. He's obviously in an extremely cranky mood. Everything that Munch does is wrong. He is just he's not happy. Yeah, yeah. And then we slowly kind of reveal what that is, I guess, throughout the episode. And by the end. And, and a great funny line, because, of course, he brings up Dr. Bly Munch, and he goes, hey, why not Felicia, who's his wife or girlfriend, why don't we go on a double date? And, and um, Bo, uh, yeah, Bolander says, not while I'm drawing breath, <laughs> yeah. which was just a great line. Yeah, it's a great, a great way to say no. Um, so, yeah, I, and then a, kind of a weird twist in that crime scene is that they go outside and they discover there's a woman hiding in the doghouse. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Yeah, out where the where the murder took place. Um, didn't see that coming. That was no, a surprise. No. Um, and of course she would she would kind of play into both storylines that we have going here, which is that you know one she she knows something about the crime scene, uh, but two she's also kind of like interested in Bolander. And has like some kind of sexual tension with him uh, when they go out to the bar. Which is so diner. funny that here's a guy who at the beginning of the series had no... Now he, he's yeah. got them all... He, <laughs> yeah. They're all over. Yeah. He can't do his job without running into um, someone who is interested in him. So, so when Munch sees Kay and he's like, you know, why is Bolander... Why do you think he's in a bad mood? Kay's like, I have the date with Dr. Bly probably went badly. Yeah. And I kind of assumed that myself right from the beginning is that's probably what's why Stan is in a bad mood. But she kind of like, once she says that, I'm like, that's probably it. Yeah, right. 
Right, and that's it was weird because the in the third episode we see that date kind of take a nosedive. At the end. Right, and then, well, at the end of the episode he comes back to her. Right. And you think, all right, well, then maybe he's going to save face or whatever. You know, he was really kind of putting her off in the middle of the last episode. So, you, yeah, I mean, you guess you kind of figure that things would have ended up well, but you're not really sure exactly no, what, no. what went down. And um, they have a few other really short scenes where Dr. Black calls, and he avoids the call. Yeah. And again, they go to Kay, and she's like, not only did the date go badly, it probably went very badly. Yeah. And and obviously, the fact that he will not talk to her, you, you're starting to think, yep, this is what it's all about. Yeah. It's all about Dr. Black. Right. Uh, yeah, and I guess that's like, that could potentially be like typical beer of like a real like sleazy guy out there, but you don't get that from no. from no. Bolander. Like you think that he's like an upstanding guy and like he's really revealed himself to be kind of a softy. In, he is a softy. Yeah, in those in those moments. So, so yeah, you're kind of like figuring out. And then of course at the end of the episode, she comes, finally does, you know, does everything that she can to get face to face with him. And uh, they have the conversation and... I guess you just find out just jitters, you know, like new date jitters for him. And, and I guess things didn't go in the bedroom department exactly as he would have liked or she would have liked. It wasn't the greatest sex ever. Right. So they kind of both feel weird. And she's like, don't worry about it. Be better tonight. Yeah. Which is an interesting way of saying, hey, I'm still really yeah. interested in you. And you can see that he's he's somewhat relieved. Right. Yeah, I guess that's uh, exactly what he wanted to hear, or what he needed to hear then, and was putting off hearing. But, um, yeah. Um, so go back to the witness in the doghouse. Pursue oh, that right, now. Right, sure. So, yeah, the... Um, yeah, the, and I guess... So she kind of uh, bounces around. She was at Central, the, the I guess the Central office. And then um, he goes and picks her up, and she says that she's hungry, so she wants to stop and eat. So they stop and eat, and she reveals, or I guess she reveals before them that she knows exactly who the killer is. Right. She was present at the time that both people were shot and knows who the killer is. And I guess, is this, like, is it understood that this is not as important a case because that other person is still alive? Do you Um, get that killer now? No, to me, it's just another murder Mm. that they want solved. He's got a lot of red on his board. Right. He's, He's eager, you know, she's obviously interested in him. And he's like, look, I want to know what happened here. Because, you know, he's not saying it to her, but he wants to solve the case. Right. And then she reveals at the diner that she's a prostitute that had been, it had a relationship with the guy who was murdered. Right. Yep. Um, And and what was funny is when he says, she says, are you shocked? He says, no. Didn't you think he was shocked? Yeah, yeah, yeah so he totally I. was. Yeah, and I guess that also questions like, is she actually interested in him? Like, is he really on a hot streak? Like you would think, or is that does just... she want money for? Yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, I really thought she was interested in him. I mean, he is sweet. She yeah. says she's cold. Yeah, he and gets he up it... and takes his jacket off. He doesn't even like know this person. Yeah. So no, I a he was shocked for real, even though he said he wasn't. And no, I I think she. She's interested in him. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's nice to see that interaction kind of play out while this other stuff is happening, right? So we know that he's kind of like like ignoring 
this person you went on one date with, uh, and then to see him kind of like, you know, swagger in front of this prostitute, like, oh no, I totally knew. Right. Like, yeah, right. no, you didn't. You didn't know. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and it seems like the case is like a slam dunk. Now, at any point, are you questioning her? Like, do you think she's lying? No, no. I, I figured she had no reason to lie. She didn't do it. Yeah. You know, it was pretty obvious she probably didn't do it, wasn't involved. She was scared. She went into the doghouse. Right, yeah. There was something about the doghouse that, like, if you were a murderer, you would not hide you in the doghouse. Right? Like, dog like, no matter how stupid you are. So that's, like, immediately I knew when they, when they pulled her out, I was like, oh, she has information, not, oh, she's the killer, you know? I, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with yeah. that for sure. But I didn't, I, you know, there's something I just don't trust when they just give a name. Like, when they just say, oh, it's this person who lives here. You're like very I, distressful. Yeah, I, absolutely. You are. Absolutely. Um, so, so that leads us to the stakeout, which is another excuse for Munch and Bolander to talk more. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Munch at that point kind of confronts Bolander and is like, look, what, what's, what's going on? You know, you've been like a jerk all day. Um, and, and, and Bolander does start to open up. He starts to talk about why he's upset. But before he can, I think, he can answer the most critical questions, the suspect walks across the street. Kind of, yeah, saved by the bell, almost, but saved by the murderer. Um, so they get out, cuff the guy. I, I thought that was so strange, too, that they could just do that. Like, they don't need a squad car to throw him in or... Anything with yeah, the glass or whatever? They just put them in, in their own car. To me, that was kind of dangerous in the sense that what if he ran? Right. You know, I mean, Bowlander, no offense, he's not going to run after the guy. Yeah. And Munch either. I yeah. See. So I, I don't know. I found that. And why even say his name till they were close? I guess they did have their guns drawn. Yeah. But he's only a suspect. Right. Yeah, and that's um, that was kind of a weird uh, situation in his response, like saying I was waiting for you guys to come, like he was or he was expecting them. To me, he 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 gave it up right away. I'm like, this is the guy. Yeah. Pretty, it's pretty much of a dunker. I mean, it's a pretty easy case. I mean, they were given the name of the shooter, and they get him in the box, and he basically. Gives it all up right away. They don't even question him. Right. He just says everything that happened. Yeah, it's one of those, like, um, there's a couple of these on this show where, like, it almost is as if, as if he doesn't think he should be charged with anything or he thinks he's absolved from it because he was just obeying orders or... He's a bodyguard. Right, and the thing that he was intending to do didn't happen, so it, it was an accident. Um, yeah, he doesn't seem to have, like, um, remorse. No, the killing at all. He had he had no remorse. He didn't even realize that what he did was maybe kind of stupid, shooting through his boss's body. I mean, the other guy's body, his boss's body, to kill the other guy because that's what his boss was saying. It was just like what, like yeah. you're and, and and Munch very sarcastically says, very commendable. Yeah, like right. That, yeah, that was a good job, yeah. moron. <laughs> yeah, it's also I I I like the fact that the the two of them are getting these bizarre, like a bizarre slam dunk in the box. Like, I don't know that I can see them. 
especially with the storylines that we're getting from them, I, I don't know that I can see them with the hard edge of a Meldrick Lewis, say, or of a Frank Pembleton. Really grilling a guy. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. They like, seem the cases seem to mirror the detective's personality. Yeah. So yeah, slam dunk for them, and a, a name uh, taken off of the board. Um, a pretty, uh, pretty simple uh, case. And um, let's see, is there anything else on Munch? One, one other great comment by Bolander. <laughs> he says to Munch, "The depth of your stupidity frightens me." Yeah, right. Another great line. Yeah. Um, and I like a. Well, yeah, we can save that for a little uh, later too. Uh, there was a lot of great munches, munch isms in this episode. Definitely, yeah. He's uh, he's like a he really was on all fire. over the place. Yeah, um, and maybe he probably had like two two pages of dialogue in this entire episode, but they were just awesome. Um, complaining at the restaurant specifically, oh, that was great. Yeah, that was almost like a stand up bit, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that was so funny. Um, cool. All right, any is there anything else on that? I, I think we've covered I that. Think that's good. Um, so want to do we want to talk about now I'm going to talk about Crosetti yeah, yeah we can do that um, so we're still uh, on the uh, attempted murder of Chris Thorman and we get some good news in the beginning of the episode in that Chris is uh, well I guess the doctor sets them up for you know he's, he's his vision is permanently impaired and it you know the bullets reach his speech uh, portion of his brain or whatever I, I don't remember but basically like this is not going to be good yes and then by the end of that scene Chris is actually talking talking yeah. yes and he said uh, yes or one for yes which is what they said squeeze my hand once for which yes which was hard for us to hear we had to replay that a few times yeah yeah um, but yeah so um, so yeah it looks like he's better on the mend or he's moving along progressing better than they could have hoped um, the case, however, not, uh, you know, they think Crosetti definitely is set on solving this case and they think they have their man in that Adam Smith. Yes. But you can tell Crosetti just wants a conviction right. and Meldrick is there to say to him, look, you want to do this right. You don't want to rush through anything. And Crosetti's pressing just to get the killer, even even he even he has his doubts, I think, but he doesn't care. Right. And thankfully, that's why Meldrick is the primary. Yeah, and pulls rank on him. And he says, look, I'm the primary, yeah. and I'm not satisfied with what I see so far. Right. Yeah, and that's uh, exactly what uh, G was telling Crosetti. Like, when he was in the office begging for this case, when he took his pants off and was that's showing right. his bullet wounds... G did not want to put him on this because he has that personal attachment. He's got that emotional attachment. And again, if he didn't, he wouldn't have pressed that Smith was the the killer. He just, he wanted it solved. Didn't care who did it, almost. Yeah. Like, you can only imagine how how frustrating that must be for Meldrick Lewis. Or for him to, like, be trying to do things right and just have this, you know monkey on your back that won't let you won't let you solve the case um i i think the next scene that involves this i think not me um they're in the restaurant with the pro right. ed danvers 
and he's kind of basically saying, you don't have a strong case, and we're going to give him a plea deal. And you can tell that Crosetti and Meldrick are not happy about that. Yeah. So what happens in the next scene with Crosetti goes to the hospital, and what happens? Oh, well, he tells him... Well, the, the prosecutor said that they would get him for 30, but he'd probably serve, what, like six or seven or eight yeah. or something? right. And then he would, something yeah. very minimal for shooting a cop, very minimal. So Crosetti goes in and says, tells Thorman, like, we've got the guy, 30 years he's going away, which is a good time. And, I mean, fairly, I would say it's fair that the... Uh, Chris feels like that's not enough, that he should be in jail every day. You can see as soon as he says it, and it's amazing, the guy has, his eyes are covered, really right. good acting, but you know he is disappointed. Right. Like yeah. that, and, and Crosetti knows that he's disappointed, even more importantly. Yeah. He tries to put a happy face on it, it's not working. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, that comes down to him, right? It's his case. He's the one that's doing that work. Like, you know, if if that's insufficient for his friend who is there blind in a hospital, you know, that's on him to get the the best, uh, the what, I want to say bang for your buck, but that's not it. The best uh, conviction that he can get. So Meldrick goes back to the neighborhood in, in really good detective work. Yeah. And finds the old woman who lives not exactly where things happened. And she, you know, he, he's so good with her the way he, like, almost like her son. He's like, you know, yeah, you know, I know you're not a gossip and things like that. I mean, the way he treats her is great. Mm. And guess what? She's got some really good information. And and she doesn't even realize it. No. Like no. she doesn't know like she can't put the connect the dots like here's what he's looking for is the killer, but she has all the information. She knows it and and then she gives it away to us as the viewer. She goes, "The guy had headaches." Yeah. That did the shooting. Right. And he's got a girlfriend and I don't know the shooter's name, but I know his girlfriend's name and where she lives. Yeah. Yeah, that like extra level of like having to have that conversation that connects all the dots and leads you to the person, there is no way Crosetti could have done that. Agree. There's Definitely no way agree to that. Left, if it was just on his plate, there's no way this case would have ever been solved. And, and well, it might have been solved the wrong way, right? With the wrong, and they might have gotten a conviction because he did have blood on his shoes. The, the other guy who they thought it was initially, Smith. Right. And But that that's because he says, well, I robbed him, but yeah. I didn't shoot him. Yeah, and that's like one of those... There's a, there were a couple moments in here where I felt like the police detectives were like folding. Or, you know, like when he said, I just stole his money, I didn't kill him. Like my instinct is like, well, that doesn't mean anything. That's just what you're saying. People lie to these cops all the time, especially in the box. But uh, Lewis seems to... He senses something, I guess, and comes back out and tells Crosetti, like, you know... This isn't your guy. Yeah, or, you know, we need to pursue it further. He's not totally sold on it. So, so moving forward with that, so, uh, you know, obviously they bring in the migraine guy, suspect... And that's very quickly, I thought, he's like, yep, I shot him, 
twice. Right. Um, because, you know, uh, the girlfriend, he, he realizes his girlfriend's given him up. They tell happened, and I guess he realizes, what, what, how am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's, uh, like, really awesome writing. Yeah, having this headache thing that they were kept throwing out there about him. He's mentioned, like, two or three times before we see him in this episode, and they talk about his headaches. Uh, and then he keeps bringing them up. And that that's where I kept thinking, oh, this is where they're going to lose on this guy. Is he's going to need to be there for a court date to say... And he's not going to test And he's not going to do it. Um, you know, in some way the headaches will prevent him from doing it. It turns out, no. It turns out he's just the killer. Um, so a little misdirection there, I guess, in the storytelling. I was looking, you were expecting one yeah, thing. I, and... I, I, I can see what you're saying, yeah. So at the end... Obviously, everyone is, you know, they're at the restaurant again, Mm. and they get a big buzz for cracking the case. Yeah. And I must say, you know, um, Meltzer kind of soaks in a little bit, but Crosetti is very subdued. Yeah. He's thinking about his friend. Yeah. And And also how he potentially could have ruined this case. How he screwed up. And so when they cut to the last scene in the church, he really opens up and says, I made the classic mistake. And and like you you just said, he realizes he could have blown the whole case. Yeah. And what does um, Meltrick say to him? You're only you're only human. You're only yeah. human. Right. And that was a good scene in the church again, because of the significance of where they were. Meltrick offers him forgiveness. They're both burying their souls. It's very appropriate for the church. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh... You can see that uh, Crosetti definitely appreciates having Meldrick around because he, you know, he was able to be a voice of reason in this case. That means so much to him. Uh, without without a uh, Meldrick's leadership on it, um, you know that murder, like you you had said, it they probably could have gotten a conviction on it, but it just wouldn't have been wouldn't have been right, right, yeah. And again, it, it, I'm just thinking of this now. It really shows what a good partnership can do yeah we know what bad ones are like this is really they're both helping each other yeah and in this case you know Meldrick was really good for Crosetti yeah I agree um so that uh do you want to talk about Tim Bayless sure I always love talking about Tim Bayless right yeah I love him our rookie uh still uh struggling with Adina Watson looks like he's getting a little sick too he's got a fever and a cold uh, they were Which they about... joke about. You know, some people say it's because of the case you're on. It's the Adina Watson case. Case says it's because you're in homicide, long hours, no food. But yeah, he is clearly not physically well. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, let, I guess that's the first thing we see from him is that he's sick. And um, he's getting the paperwork to take in the Araber. That's right. I'm saying that right. right? You're saying it right. And Frank thinks it's a bad idea. From the first time of the case, Frank has said, don't waste your time on that guy. He's not the guy. And Tim, doing the right, doesn't have any other suspects, is going after him. And Frank clearly thinks it's a mistake. Yeah, but what, what pushes Frank over the edge this episode is a brief conversation with his character foil, Bo Felton, who starts 
uh, I guess just he's been thinking about it a little bit and start starting to kind of put some things together himself. And he suggests that um, the state of the body leads everyone to believe that Nadina had to have been killed that day. And he suggests, well, what if she wasn't? What if she was just kept someplace cool? Right, what if she was killed the night before? And and it's funny because I, I got more respect for Bo because yeah. it was a really good idea. And even Frank agrees right. that he may have a point. To which Bo says, I can't believe yeah. <laughs> Frank says, I have a point. Right. Because clearly there's not a lot of respect from Frank to Bo. Yeah. But yeah, that was a... Um, that was a telling scene. And again, my respect for Bo Felton grew. I'm like, he's got a real possibility of something that happened. Right. Yeah, and and Tim sort of does what we're like groomed at this point. Only three episodes in. But we're just like, yeah, whatever you say, Bo. Like, forget, forget, <laughs> get out of here with that. Um, but yeah, Frank, and also like Frank being pragmatic enough to say like, hey, that is actually a good idea, regardless of where it comes from. You know, we know how much disdain he has specifically for Bo Felton. And then the two of them decide. And Tim basically tells him, like, look, if you guys want to go do that, go, go do go it. Go do it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to get the the um, the warrant. Yeah. And they do. They do just go do it. Uh, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about that right, later. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Tim. Uh, and the I guess the linchpin in Tim's mind is that nation about the murder that hasn't been leaked to anyone. Right. The press doesn't know about it. So he thinks if he can get the Araber in the box, start talking to him, and then have the Araber admit that he knows of that. We know unless he's the one right. that did it. So it's very critical Tim says that because we find out, because G goes to Tim and says, the, the, Tim is right there and G's getting this phone call and he has to tell Tim, Hey, Barnfather was addressing a group of people. The press was there. And guess what? He spilled the beans about her being violated with a pipe. Yeah. Oh, man. And like, he, <laughs> he like and Bayless Tim, loses Tim, it. Tim is just, you know, ballistic over this. Yeah. Poor guy. You know, like can't catch a break on this case. Thinks he finally has something. And it's just dashed before it even gets off the runway. So I, I now does Tim call? I think Tim calls Barnfather at home. Yeah. And basically yells at him, <laughs> and at the end calls him a butthead. <laughs> that is. So and you funny. just you just know that this is like he should have never ever ever done that. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is like a beautiful case of. Um, like a maybe like a a guy who's kind of at his wits, manic breakdown point, but then also what they can sneak past the censors on you know on NBC. So he calls him a butthead, and then hangs up the phone, which is such like a silly. That's like a schoolyard thing. Like I don't know I've ever called anyone a butthead. Right. But right. Uh, but yeah, Tim does it, and then of course has to pay for it. There's and we yeah, we see Barnfather come in in the street clothes, talks to G, and basically says to G, look, either he apologizes or he's, God knows, he said off the case, I think he meant he's even worse, maybe. Well, yeah, right, because that's, so he specifically says that he resigns the case. Yes. Right, and then gives that to someone else. Right. Um, 
Which, I mean, again, like, you know, we've talked about this in, in episodes, other episodes. This is Tim's first case. So, like, if he were to step down from this, like, what that would do for his spirit or his, how he's looked at by other people in the room, like... Everything, his whole credibility was shot, would be shot. And G sort of indicates that in a previous episode when he sticks up for him and, and decides to keep him on the case. Like, you know, he, he acknowledges the weight that's put on uh, on this case being closed and being closed by Tim. And, of course, Tim just is like, I'm not going to, why should I apologize? I'm the primary. This guy's an idiot. And G says another great line, not a funny line, just what's right doesn't matter. Right. You need to apologize. Yeah. And he, then he says, showing you that he's done it many times, he goes, the first time is the hardest. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it's one of those, it's like uh, being a homicide detective is not unlike any job any of us have ever had. We're like, yeah, you, you're going to have to deal with crap from your boss and crap from your boss's boss. And that's just how it is. And um, then, you know, Tim goes into G's office and you can tell he's very upset and it's basically like, look, I, I'm not making progress. I'm doing the same thing every day. He, he wants to give the case to Frank and quit the case. So before he has this conversation with G, he went in and talked to Barnfather, right? Yes. Do you think it's something from that conversation that leads Tim to say this? Who knows what Barnfather said? And we never we never we never talked about the fact that Barnfather is so mean to G in right. the beginning of the episode. Right. And basically says to him, like, when's the last time you had a vacation? Almost like, you know, you you need to quit, resign, go on vacation. Yeah. Very negative. So God knows what he said to Tim Bayless. God right. knows. Yeah. But let's put it this way. It couldn't have made Tim feel any better. Yeah. Whatever Barnfather's done. Right. And I think that G probably senses that. You know, that that really what Tim is feeling and what Tim is saying are two different things. And, you know, G tells him, like, hey, beat it. You know, go home, get some rest. Right. Get, feel better. And, and then he says, go home, feel better, get some sleep. And if you want to bitch and moan about it tomorrow, doesn't say he'll take him off the case, but come and talk to me. Again, right? Yeah, great, great leadership from G. You know, like that's that's what you want in a boss is someone who is uh, kind of respectful of your agency as an employee. You know, and like he's Tim is. Uh, uh, I think, you know, I don't know that he understands how good G is being to him yet because he's got so much other stuff on his plate. But um, yeah, I mean, he's being handled really well, uh, as he can for the situation that he's in. So, of course, the last scene between those two of this episode, between Frank and Tim, um, I, I had no idea who was in the bed that it, you're in Tim's apartment. Oh, right. And Frank is at the door. And, you know, Frank gives him a, a critical uh, item for discussion that they tested, I think he said, Adina's skirt. Right. They found soot, and the soot is somehow connected to the Araber. I forget the exact... From the from the Araber's barn. Barn, yeah. And Frank went to all the trouble to get the warrant signed. And 
I saw a breakthrough. I don't know if you in the way Frank acts and in their relationship. Do you agree? Absolutely. It was the first breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I um. So he, uh, Frank has to admit that he was wrong, and that search that he went on with Bo Felton, which I guess we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, was unfounded, and that Tim was was barking up the right tree. Um, I think that's a first big a big first step for. Frank, Frank. To make that admission, and, I was and, wrong. And, and finally, I said to myself, "Now I kind of remember why I always like Frank." Whereas the first couple episodes, I'm like, "Frank is a jerk." Yeah, yeah, he's, he's but fine, and, and just his earnest smile at the Tim's apartment, and he's so happy that something positive has happened, and they're going to do it together. Yeah, which again, that's the major breakthrough. Right. Yeah. The, uh, for sure, we've seen that character of Frank Pemilton become more of the character we know as Frank Pemilton in the, these last couple episodes. He does. He starts off way too cool for school and way too uh, too mean, you know. And now we've kind of seen him be the character that we are used yeah, to. You know, and they they had to do that when you think about it, because you would just you would just not like him at all. They had to make it so he's a human being at times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So that was that was that was a very positive step in the investigation. The first big break that she has soot on her skirt, and the soot is from the Arabers barn. Wow! Sounds like the Adina Watson case is all tied up, yep. ready to be finished in episode be crack five. Crack next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next week to see if we get there. But um, yeah, so that yeah that is that is great, and I, and I think that. Um, of course, a huge step for Tim uh, as well to feel like he is doing the job. So even though he hasn't, the case isn't closed yet. He's he he's had Frank tell him that he's doing the right thing, which is I think is probably what he needs to hear right now. And if you think about it, it's one of the most positive episodes to date. They solved the cop shooting. Bolander solves his case, and. They get a strong lead on the Dean Watson. Yeah, you haven't seen that much positive results in every other episode. Yeah, yet. yeah. This episode also ends with a uh, Detective Munch singing, which I bet, which was hysterical. Yeah, I'm going to bet that doesn't happen ever again. <laughs> we'll have to see if there's ever an episode that was been... <laughs> that whole scene with him, the the original karaoke guy, and then the fact that Munch is so like turned off by it. Because the place stinks to him. And then it's Munch who's doing the karaoke. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, so if this was like a feature-length film, this would be a great end to the stories, right? All the storylines kind of come to a head. They're not totally finished, but they could go... We can connect the dots on where this stuff ends. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, what loose ties are there now? Right now, things are great. Yeah. So let's let's go back to Frank... And Bo. Yeah. They're back together, quote-unquote, again, which leads me to believe that they were partners at one time. Yeah. And, again, they have these great conversations in the um, the car. Yeah. And it starts off the first... You see where Frank's... What Frank thinks of Bo when he starts talking about it. He says, make a right... Um, I think it's Fulton... And Frank goes, what do you mean? It's Martin Luther King Drive. 
and it gets into the whole discussion about race. Yeah. And yeah, you can, like, uh, I think they do a good job of kind of replicating a conversation that has gone on for years where people are, you know, I think Bo Felton is living his life kind of without being too aware of the ways in which he could be perceived as racist. So when they're revealed to him, he doesn't get it. Um, you know, he doesn't see him not calling it Martin Luther King Jr. as a personal slight against anybody. You know, as two white guys, I will say I'm probably the same way. I don't see my own racism. I remember my father making a comment about High Street in Newark. They turned it into Martin Luther King Boulevard. My father was not happy. It was High Street. Yeah. And, you know, what did it reveal? I, I don't know, but again, you're, you're right. It's kind of like we, again, as white people, I think it's hard for us to even realize the way we might be showing our racism. And I think Frank is trying to point it out to him, like you're not accepting that that was 10 years ago. Right, It yeah. didn't happen yesterday. Right. When are you going to get with the program? Yeah. Yeah, and, and we know that uh, that racial so apparent between those two it's been brought up before in previous episodes that uh Bo really thinks that uh frank thinks that he's racist and frank does i guess think that Bo is racist yes. or, or at least uh in in a unaware of uh the prejudices that he does have agree so yeah it's it's uh it's almost like i mean hearing them talk about it it's like the unstoppable force and the immovable object you know like how do you make Bo Felton aware of these, you know, things that he is like totally tone deaf to? Uh, makes for great conversation while they're going around in, on this wild goose chase looking for a blue car. And again, in typical homicide fashion, looking for the car is really not the point of all the scenes. The point of all the scenes is the conversation between those two. Right, yeah. Even though they're doing something important to drive the plot, that's not where you derive the pleasure from. The ple the pleasure is in their interaction. Right. Yeah. Uh, and seeing those characters kind of butt up against each other. Because, again, like we've seen... Uh, we've thought so highly of Frank. You kind of... He exists on a different plane from the people in the office. And then we've seen Bo, just in this episode, kind of like lifted up. And maybe the two of them kind of meeting somewhere... It would make sense that we now see them back at total opposites while they're having the conversation. Um, so, I mean, and Bo goes back at Frank and says, like, not everything's directed at you, Frank, because we know Frank is very self-centered. Right. And I thought Bo had some good comebacks because he was like, Frank, it's not all about you either. Right. So, you know, Bo, Bo doesn't just take his stuff. He gives it back to Frank. Yeah. Now, when they're on this... Now, because we don't know about the soot at this point in the episode. No, no. So what are your thoughts on what they're actually doing looking for this They car? think that this guy who they saw... Look, I got a ballpark. Yeah. He's maybe the one that had Adina in that car overnight, and they're hoping if they find the car, they're going to find blood, her blood, and they got their suspect. Yeah. And it seems like so he tells them that the car got re uh, got repoed, uh, re repoed, and uh, is in an impound lot somewhere, and 
so they don't want to find this car because then he will have been lying about it and just dumped it somewhere. Um, and as they go to each one of these lots, it's like seemingly endless stream. There's always another lot. There's always another lot far away. Uh, you start thinking maybe they're right. Like maybe they did find something here. Uh, and the case that they're on is uh, actually one that's going to lead them to Adina Watson's killer. And there was some good comic relief there with um, Ike. Ike's auto. And he says, well, I'm not Ike. But he goes, would you buy from Orville's auto? <laughs> yeah, right. Which would, that, that character was pretty funny. Yeah. He had no desire to help them after the <laughs> first lot. But he could just see there was no talking to them. Yeah. And there was also another good little scene when Bo was in that car, sitting in the car, and he's kind of ready to buy it. <laughs> yeah. And Frank's like, hey, idiot, let's yeah. have a job to do. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that great, uh, like, uh, a, a truism, I think, a universal thing of, uh, if you find it for a lower price, I'll match it. Well, why would you go back to him? No, if you find it for a lower price, you just buy it there. Yeah, that is uh, that is really great. Uh, and makes that, again, kind of fun to dip back into. A lot going on, a really loaded kind of conversation, and then also one that plot-wise, too, has a lot of ramifications. Because if they figure this out... You know, they're going to look like heroes, and this case is going to close. And when they finally find the car, obviously in the last lot, and they put that special chemical, which will turn blue if it's dried up blood, gray if it's not, I I, I just knew it wasn't going to right, yeah. turn, turn. I mean, even when I first saw it, I'm just like, there's nothing going down here. Yeah. And they're they're disappointed, but let's let's back up. When they before they go there, evidently it's pretty far out, and Bo's like, "Why are we gonna go there?" And the Orville's kind of saying, "Yeah, don't go," and Frank's, and 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 this is really key. Uh, Bo says, "You're only doing this to make Bayless look like an ass, like he's wrong," and this is the first time where I believed Frank, and he said, "You're wrong. You think you know me." It's all about getting the killer of an 11-year-old girl. Right. And I said, I believe Frank. Yep. It's not about making Bayless look stupid. He might have done it before, not now. He right. wants to catch the killer. Yeah. And that's, I think, what justifies everything that we've seen in him. Because Frank has lied in the box. He's lied... Uh, you know, potentially, I think he's lied to, to the report well, to, 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 to Tim, right? About uh, the reporter, but he and he comes across as nasty, and and you get this sense that the other detectives maybe don't really like who he is. They like him maybe as a coworker, but they don't like him as a person. Um, and yeah, that I think is the fundamental thing is that he doesn't care about all this other stuff, the politics of the job, and you know what is wrong and what is right doesn't matter as much as catching the guy at the end of the day, which I think justifies that behavior. So, so the kind of good news, the, the good news, bad news is they've eliminated that guy with his big car as a um, suspect. And so, boy, they eat a lot, right? It's yeah, like right. the third scene <laughs> yeah, the where they're eating too. And, and Bo kind of wants everyone to tell him, hey, am I a racist? And G says, look, you're all these things, but no, you're not a racist. Yeah, you're a little bit of a misogynist. And, 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 and Meldrick, who's black, says, no, you're not a racist. And I think, 
I think Bo really needed to, I think he was upset and worried that he was yeah. a racist, and he might be a racist, but not in the classic sense of racism. Yeah, I think it's kind of like letting it, this really, his character gets redeemed a lot in this episode. It's kind of letting that steam out. Or some of that tension that he that we perceive between him and his coworkers, just him being like a schlubby guy, you know, they kind of uh, tear some of that down uh, a little bit, which is good. I and think again, they made him that. they made him look smart this episode because of the he's the one that led them on this whole chase looking for the car. That was his idea. That's right. Which was a great idea. Yeah, and. Uh, fruitless idea by the end of the episode, but still worth necessary. Right, worth them going down and knocking on all those doors. And again, that was a nice little scene in the the restaurant to show the camaraderie. And by the way, they do say how Frank never goes out to drink with them. Yeah, never. Right. So again, he is an eider. Yeah, I guess there's always people like that. Like I've I've definitely met. Personalities oh, definitely. Like they just—they're not going to be the ones to go. Yeah. Cool. So where does that? Where are we at now? I think we're really at the end of the episode, yeah, which ends with the with the karaoke, which we already <laughs> discovered. Obviously, a very very funny funny scene. Yeah, and and kind of foreshadowing him complaining about that place. They're like usual hangout, how it doesn't have vegetables, all the vegetables are crossed off. He's unsatisfied with them there. He would like to start going someplace else. And, and we'll see what that means in future episodes. Right. We don't want to give anything away. Who's uh, who's your winner for this episode? Boy, you know... Why don't you go first? Maybe you'll influence <laughs> me. I'm really... I'm so torn. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so I would say the... The win so there's a lot of wins in this. Yeah. Almost everyone ends yeah. out on I mean Bolander wins, Frank and Tim win, and um Crosetti and Meldrick win. You know, man, I, 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 I don't know. I'm I'm gonna say my big winner though, uh, is um Doctor Blythe, who finally gets through to Bolander. That's an interesting she, pick. It's, she, it was her challenge all episode to get through, and then she finally did what she needed, and it looks like things are going to end up good for her. I hope so. Uh, on the end there. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a strong winner, because like you said, there was three wins in the case. Yeah. So you could pick a bunch of people. Um, and how about losers? Losers in this episode... I don't know if I could pick a loser because yeah. well, everybody everybody does something. I mean, even though Crosetti blew it, at least he admits that he blew it. Right. So a loser wouldn't admit it. He admits it. Yeah, yeah. Crosetti's probably close to my my loser in this episode, um, only because you know. But like you said, he's he realized the error of his ways, and, and that could have been a colossal mistake. Right. Um, I'll also put Frank as a loser on this episode. He went on this instinct that he had, that you know, him and Bo kind of came up with. Went and did all that legwork, and then came back and found out Tim was barking up the right tree. But I would submit to you, he redeems himself at the end. Admits he was wrong, gets the warrant, goes to Tim's apartment. Like a good part. A lot of swallowing, a pride from Frank uh, Pembleton. Yeah. 
which we don't see right often. Yeah, weird weird episode. So uh, so much fun at the end. Again, like this could be the end of this story. I need to think of that. It could be the end of the whole arc. Right. Yeah, a lot of loose ends kind of tied up, which means we only have next week to see what sort of craziness opens up from this because uh, we're we're expecting it. Uh, well, I guess that means that we can now put uh, a shot in the dark of season one, episode four of Homicide: Life in the Street, from red to black. Uh, thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Hey, here's how to get in contact with us. All right, Joe, the email address uh, from red to black pod. And again, as always, welcome.